Hey everybody, welcome to Doses of Darling. My name is Darling Membreño. I am a licensed professional counselor associate here in Austin, Texas, and this is my mental health podcast. I am really grateful to those of you who are joining me today for the first time. I'm thankful to those of you who have continued watching me. This is episode three now, and we are getting into the nitty gritty of actually talking about counseling theories. So I want to thank y'all for sharing my videos and sharing my channel and subscribing. And so I also want to share some exciting news. I am on Spotify and I am on Amazon Music as well. So we're growing guys. I'm I just want my little light to be out and be shared with whoever needs to hear whatever God wants me to share with y'all. So yeah, I'm just ecstatic and over the moon about the fact that I'm on more streaming services. So in case you get tired of seeing me on YouTube, you can definitely just listen to me on any of those streaming platforms. Today's episode, y'all, we have a guest who will be talking about internal family systems. This theory is so special to me because it helped me to discover, well, to go really deep inside of me and to discover pain and hurt and a trauma that was inflicted on me by my mom growing up. And so I knew that it existed. I just didn't know how it was affecting me in my life, how it was showing up and the patterns that I was repeating because of this damage that was inflicted on me. And so I think it's so beneficial, not just, I think it's beneficial for anybody who is an adult, but especially people from the Latino community. I I think this theory needs to get out not only do we need to start going to therapy more, but once we do, this theory needs to get out because it is so helpful for us as whatever generation immigrant we are. Like we still come with immigration trauma. We still come with trauma uh, that's past generational, whether it's assimilating to this country or a acculturation, just if we've suffered abuse or witnessed abuse or witnessed alcoholism it is it just does wonders because of how it compartmentalizes all of our emotions and helps us to truly understand what emotions arose when and at what time of our lives it it just is such a mind-blowing theory when you start delving into it but it is actually such a wonderful theory to use in order to start dismantling whatever or just unraveling i don't like dismantling i like the word unraveling because i feel like trauma just like jumbles everything up into this ball of yarn that's stuck and sometimes we try to pull and pull and we make it worse but this unravels everything so nicely and it helps us see everything so much more clearly about all of the situations that we've been through in life that have caused us pain or hurt or or damage in any way. So I'm really excited for y'all to hear my colleague um, 
explain what internal family systems is. That's We're going to split this episode again. This first part is going to be all of the information about what internal family systems is. It's going to include a few nuggets of wisdom or like a sneak peek into how IFS was helpful to me in starting to unravel those things and starting to heal and the forgiveness with my mom. And then the second part of the episode will be actually getting into details of how that trauma occurred in my life, what things my mom did and said to me that caused that dynamic that then in turn was turned into like this trauma that um, followed me throughout life until I finally started to address it. So it's, it's amazing, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me on this one. And without further ado, here is the information that you need to know about internal family systems. The person that is joining us today is Debbie Seeger. She is a colleague of mine that graduated with me last year in May of 2022. We both went to the seminary of the Southwest and we formed a really valuable close friendship there that I am, I feel so blessed to have formed with her. Um, We both did our internship at the same site as well to complete our hours for graduation. And we both found an interest in this theory that we're gonna be talking about, which is internal family systems. And this is a type of theory that's used by certain therapists. And um, I mean, Debbie will be explaining a little bit about what it is. She'll give us the background on it. But I think I want to kind of plug in at this moment right now that it's so important to note. I know when we're looking for a therapist, sometimes we're so deep into whatever our situation is that's even leading us to therapy, right? Because let's be real. A lot of us go to therapy when we really need the help as opposed to when we're feeling okay and just need somebody to have an objective point of view on whatever's happening with our lives. But the reality is we go to therapy when something's going wrong in our lives. And so that's really difficult to even do research, right? Because looking for a therapist is like shopping for a friend that you're going to be confiding in and you're going to hit snags and meet people that you're like, oh, I didn't hit it off with this person or, and so then if you don't hit it off with their personality, you also have to think about, okay, well, what theories do these people adhere to? Do they work with anxiety? Do they work with depression? Do they only work with couples? So theories are just as important and um, do some research about it so that you can do the best work for whatever it is you're working through in the moment. And so Debbie went through uh, training for internal family systems, and I've used it with some clients and have seen so much progress and it breaks you down kind of as an individual if you have some some deep traumas. And so that's why I was interested in it. And I want to hand it over to Debbie now and ask you, Debbie, will you share a little bit about what what got you interested in internal family systems? And then maybe a little bit of the training that you have, some background about it. Um, I'll give you the floor. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite topics. So thank you for inviting me to explore that with, with you. 
Uh, I first learned about internal family systems in our seminary course on family systems, couple family systems, I can't remember the title. And I knew I was a systems person. I have my theoretical orientation in systems. And when it was shared with me that the concept of the, the parts of us form an internal family system, hence the name, I was intrigued. I, I thought that, that is something I'm going to look into at some point in the future. And it was probably within a month or so Something happened at home that I was just doing about. I mean, I couldn't let it go. I was just, it just, even I sort of knew it was out of proportion, but I still couldn't let it go. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, wait a minute, where's that book on IFS? So I got our, the text, one of the textbooks we used in that class and worked through the process, which is a little hard when you don't know it really well, because you're reading about it, doing, Mm -hmm. reading about it, doing. And I did it. Um, I discovered a part of me that was so exhausted. It was just crying, Mm. just sobbing. That part that really pushed my system to excellence, that Mm. really not only wanted to be excellent, but needed external validation that I was excellent. And so what had happened was I did something I thought was really cool. And the person I wanted to acknowledge it as really cool did not. When I got in touch with this part in, in self, and I'll talk about the key components of IFS, this part told me it was just exhausted that I had started this graduate program that I was pushing myself for not only A's, but high A's. I hadn't been in school for 20 something years mm. and it was just crying and exhausted. And so I spent some time with that part and kind of brought it up to date that I am doing well in school. It's, it's not easy, but the grades reflect that I am doing well in school and sort of, you know, just made a deal with that part that I would pay attention to it when when I felt it and thanked it for its contribution to me becoming a counselor. And that problem has not resurfaced. Mm. That, that part of my system settled into a new role. And yeah, I still want to be really good at what I do. And I work hard at that. Mm-hmm. And it's not taking over my highest and best self any longer. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us. I mean, first of all, it takes so much vulnerability and courage to open up about. I know you you didn't give us much detail, but that that already was such a beautiful sentiment brought into exactly what internal family systems is meant to do. You you mentioned your ideal self and I have gone through that process as well of discovering who that person is inside of me. And so I guess now is the perfect time, right, to talk about the ideal self and the protectors and the exiles. And so I'll give it back to you to kind of lead us into that. Yeah, uh, a little bit of background. Richard Schwartz was the um, creator of the internal family systems model. He was trained in systems therapy family systems therapy and worked for a long time with couples and families. When he began working with individuals, he noted that 
his individual clients were describing some of the same phenomena that he experienced in family systems. They would talk about a, a part of them that was in conflict with another part of them and trying to reconcile those two things. And the realization that those parts ultimately held the best interest of the system in, the, in their mind. They were doing the best they could with what they knew how to do. And so we started thinking about it and, and looking at the parts and and what made the, the human being different. And the concept of self emerged, that we all have self. The self, for, for those of us who um, believe in a divine being, is our connection to the divine. It's where we draw energy. It's when we are compassionate curious there's there's the seeds of being in self and they're all well-intentioned and and generous and beneficial and so when we're in self that's how we come across we're we're calm uh, we are uh, benevolent toward others we are compassionate toward others then as life goes on things happen in our life and Hearts get created. Sometimes they often start very young in life that um, something happens that we're not supposed to feel. Um, it can be a source of shame. In a lot of families, uh, a child expressing anger is not tolerated. And so there's a part created that knows it cannot express anger because that's unacceptable. And those we call exiles. They're they're wounds from the past that never get brought up to date. For example, if, if you know, five-year-old Debbie could not cry because crying was just not done in our family, Debbie at my age knows it's okay to cry. And if I can let my protectors relax enough, I can work with that young part to say, it's okay now. I know I, I want to hear your story. I know that must have been so hard for you. Let's talk about the way things are now. Um, so witnessing it, that it's validating it, and then updating it to bring it into the present so that it can be a part of a healthy system. Mm -hmm. There are parts of us that are created. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. Oh, no, I just, um, I want to let you finish your thought and then I'll ask my question. Okay. There's parts of us that are created to help us manage the pain that that young part might experience. Um, and there's two different kinds. One is a, a manager that is always on the job. It's, it's constantly managing the situation in a variety of ways. I'm a planner. I have a big planning part. The part of me that wants to know what's coming, how the day is going to go. Um, so that I can make sure everything happens the way it's supposed to. Uh, other parts are firefighters. They're not there all the time. They come swooping in to distract if anything or anyone starts getting too close to that little young part that it might expose it. So um, anger flashes for some people are firefighters. Um, panic attacks can be firefighters. 
Um, the same kind of behavior can be both a firefighter and a manager, but their, their goal is to protect the system from feeling pain, to do what they believe is what's best for the system. And our work in IFS therapy is to help those parts take on truly helpful roles, not to get rid of them. There are no bad parts. We don't want them to go away, but we might want them to take a different job in our system. Because they're all useful, right? It's useful for us to be angry sometimes. It's useful for us to be sad or depressed Absolutely. at some point. So, yeah. And being curious when you're in self, you can be honestly curious. What's this part trying to do for our system? What's, what's, what's it saying to me right now? Like the example I gave of when I was all riled up, what is this, what is this doing for my system? And then realizing it, it really does have its best intention for the system. And it might, it might welcome the opportunity to kind of relax a little bit and rest mm -hmm. a little bit and keep doing what it's doing, but just maybe a little lower volume. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned exiles, you mentioned firefighters, and you mentioned managers. And I know the terminology for exiles. Um, I know the terminology for protectors, um, but I never heard the term manager. So can you explain the difference between, I, I guess you did a little bit, right? The manager is like upfront and doing whatever it needs to do to get done. But the firefighters come in when they sense any sort of pain coming to the little five-year-old Debbie that you, that you mentioned so that she is not put in a situation that made her feel like she couldn't cry when she was little. That's ex that's exactly right. Uh, managers mm -hmm. are always there, always working, maybe over-functioning a bit, and that can be mm -hmm. a target of, of counseling. The firefighters come swooping in when they feel a threat. Mm -hmm. And this, this sensation is so real. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I talk all the time about being threatened, whether it's physically or emotionally, getting thrown back into what I call the lizard part of the brain. Yes. Where the only only three choices the lizard part of the brain has is fight, fight flight, or freeze. I can't I can never say those correctly. Fight, flight, or freeze. It is very limited choices of what to do. Mm -hmm. And I have clients experience that so intensely that say it's a uh, a couple and we're working on uh, some conflict issue and one of them really gets triggered back into the lizard brain. They literally will not know what they said, what even what may have triggered them. They are so far back into that brain that they're not registering what is going on. And of course, that's a, you know, that's a, a bad place to be when you're trying to express yourself, when you can't, you don't have access to that uh, executive function that lets you think through what the consequences of words and actions might be. It's the part of your brain when um, when someone throws a punch into a wall out of anger and doesn't even remember it later. That's that's where they're at. So that the firefighters have that dramatic of an in, impact. They really want to swoop in and protect that system from feeling what it might feel, what it feels threatened that it might feel. Yeah. So I, the question that I had earlier is going back to exiles 
exiles from my understanding are supposed to be the five childhood wounds that can happen mm-hmm. to us growing up um which i'll explain now are the um the wound of abandonment the wound of betrayal the wound of rejection the wound of humiliation and the trust wound or injustice trust wound and so I, I want to know if that's what exiles are limited to or if they can be anything across the board. Exiles have experienced something traumatic mm-hmm. and what is traumatic for one person is is different than another person. But mm-hmm. I think in general, trauma is something bad happening and having to endure it alone. Mm-hmm. So um, a child who is um, suddenly confronted with some kind of danger. Mm -hmm. And the parent thinks that it's best to protect the child from understanding what that danger was and how dangerous it was, Uh, maybe a house fire or something like that. And so they're protecting the child. They think they're doing what's best, but what it leaves is that little child alone with something the child knows is traumatic. I mean, Mm A child, a baby knows what trauma is and no one to talk with it. Mm. No one to share that with. They're alone metaphorically. Mm. And that part gets locked there. Um, Self, our highest and best self moves through time. Mm. But these exiles get created and they don't move through time until there's some intentional work to do that, whether on our own or, or with a therapist. They stay locked as that terrified, alone child. Mm-hmm. And, and so all of the five that you mentioned would, could definitely fall into a trauma category. Mm-hmm. But that's what I think of an exile as they, they experience a trauma and they're left doing it all on their own. Mm-hmm. And they don't know that circumstances may have changed for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it stays it remains stagnant in that age when that happened. Um, so if, and when people start doing this work, you'll realize that that part of you, that's always crying. Debbie, you mentioned a five-year-old Debbie. Mine is a four-year-old. Um, other people's can be a three-year-old when that happens. So, um, then you start having conversations with these parts of you do you want to share a little bit about that, how that goes once people start delving into and finding out and discovering these parts within themselves? Yeah, um, I described it to a client once as if, if, you, if, if a part of you believes that locking this child in a closet is going to keep them safe from the tornado and they're holding on with all their force to keep that child safe, if they get stuck there, they never realize that the tornado threat has come and gone, that there are clear blue skies outside and it's a beautiful day. They're stuck holding for dear life that door shut. And usually or often what's behind that door is something that holds shame. That's the most powerful and shame is something that we will fight desperately to keep anyone from knowing. Mm-hmm. And our protectors, both the managers, 
managers and firefighters will work so hard for that shame to not be revealed. Mm-hmm. And in internal family systems, we think of shame is typically at the root and that anxiety and depression are really symptoms of that part that is holding shame. I worked with a client. She, she presented as extremely anxious. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we talked about her, her family situation, she had reason that many of us would find to be anxious based on that family situation. Mm-hmm. So we worked up through that and that involved a, a lot of um, what, what's the part trying to do and in the practicality of creating a safety plan for her. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got that and then started talking about where some of her parts might have originated, what they were doing for her. And then one day we were talking about her childhood, which chaos doesn't begin to describe it. Um, And she remembered this 14 year old Mm. whose brother had sexually assaulted her. Mm. And we worked with the her protector parts, primarily anxiety, the part that would cause a panic attack rather than think about that, mm-hmm. worked with them to soften down and say, we don't want you to go away. Mm-hmm. Could, could you just maybe step aside and, and let us spend some time with that 14 year old? Mm-hmm. And we did. And in, after some work, uh, the 14 year old felt heard because self was listening at what it was like for that 14 year old to be assaulted by her brother, to not know she could not share that with anyone, that her family as chaotic as it was, would be even worse. She couldn't share it with anyone. Mm -hmm. And that shame was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And that part got comfortable with self and trusting enough to say, yeah, I, I'm ready to let go of that. And sometimes we invite clients to let go of their exiles by putting them in, in the ocean or um, giving them to fire. Um, she wanted to give that burden to God. And she just, she physically stood up and just made this gesture of, lifting her hands up and letting it go. And when that happens, clients often describe a feeling of lightness. Mm-hmm. I just feel, I just feel lighter. Mm-hmm. And from that day forward, she had some other things to work on, but from that day forward, that exile was happy and content and knew it was um, in a safe place and was deserving of that safety and she really turned the corner in that, mm. in that time. That is, that's huge. That's huge. And that's so awesome that you helped guide her in that direction after having kept that traumatic experience for so long, just to herself. It's such a privilege for me as a counselor to, to do that. I know mm. I, it's, as you know, it's not, you don't always get to see that. Sometimes you, you plant the seed and you just trust it's going to blossom mm-hmm. somewhere down the road. And being able to see that transformation, just a, a physical look of lightness for her was such a privilege. Yeah. 
So you mentioned that we don't want to get rid of any of those parts. What does it mean then to give these exiles to fire or to water or to God, like your client decided to do? And where, if they're not disappearing, um, when and how do we give them a new role to play within us? Yeah, the exile doesn't disappear. What we're getting rid of is their burden. Mm. We're unburdening the exile. And so when, when that happens, I circle back to those protector parts and make sure they know that exile is safe. That exile is feeling good. Um, that exile wants to stay with self in the present. And then ask the protectors, are you comfortable now? You've, you've been working so hard doing your job. Um, would, you, would you like to do another job? Is there another part of the system that, that you would like to focus on and see if they would like a new job? Um, we, we know that anxiety and stress can actually be productive if we can keep it in the productive range. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want it to go away. We, we want that little edge of, you know, helping us do our best. Maybe, you know, we um, do those extra 10 minutes of exercise because we want to be, be good at it. Yeah. And, but we ask them if what they would like to do and what job they would like to take. And then the, the exile, um, I, the exile can just, linger where it wants to. Mm-hmm. I've had um, an exile not want to come into the present, but to go be with their grandmother, which was a safe place and a nurturing place for them. Mm-hmm. And um, the client just thinks of that picture of that little exile as being cared for, well yeah. cared for. Yeah. So I guess this then leads to the next question of Every therapist does it in a different way. And you mentioned the workbook that we had in, in our couples, family systems and whatever the rest of the name of it was. Um, I, I use that workbook as well because there's a there's a whole dialogue, right, that, that you can follow to bring up all of these different parts of you. I'm curious to know what that looks like in your office or in your sessions, if you follow that workbook or if you have found your own practice to help your clients get to meeting all of these different parts of themselves? I am discovering that choosing how I go at it is, is different. It, with I don't have a standard mm-hmm. way. Um, mm-hmm. Well, maybe I do have a standard way. So if, if a client is talking in the, you know, what their presenting issue is, and they say, you know, I just... Um, that makes me, I, I feel so guilty. I just feel so guilty. I will typically ask them, where in your body are you feeling that guilt? Mm-hmm. Sometimes clients immediately gravitate toward that. Mm-hmm. And then we do the Fs of IFS. We find it, focus on it, um, really get a sense of what that part is and how they're experiencing it. Is it a throbbing? Is it a sharpness? Is it a tightness? And then start to get to know that part. You know, what's your job? Um, just as if you were meeting a person, you would ask, you know, where are you from? What do you do? How long have you been here? It's yeah. the same process with getting to know that part. 
-hmm. Other clients are less comfortable with that. Um, and I know in my own personal therapy, I, we use IFS, uh, but I go, we call it going inside when you're really working with those parts. I do that on my own and then process that with my therapist. And I found that very helpful with a number of clients too. They mm -hmm. spend some time in between sessions, really getting to know a part. And then we kind of process what that means in our sessions and what would be helpful for them to do between sessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it can be awkward. I remember my introduction to internal family systems was actually before that class. It was, mm -hmm. it was in 2020, right before the pandemic, I believe I started um, going to my own therapy and I just so happened to, I didn't, I didn't research this woman. I didn't know what IFS was beforehand. I didn't do the work that I recommended that people do <laughs> at the beginning of this. Um, but I was, I was in a situation where I just needed, I needed to talk to somebody and find an objective point of view. And she just so happened to be certified in IFS or trained in IFS and brought that to me during our first session because of the things that I was dealing with. And so I mentioned all of that to say, it can be an awkward process in however it happens, because the way that this woman did it with me in session was she had me close my eyes and she did. She asked me a similar question. I have dealt with anxiety my whole life. And so that was, that was what I was there to address. That was my presenting problem in that moment. And so she said, okay, think about your anxiety. Think about the things that make you feel anxiety and where do you feel that in your body? So she did ask me that question. And um, I think I told her I felt it in the pit of my stomach and in my shoulders, they just got really tense and that my body just got really cold inside. She said, okay, mm -hmm. let's go with that feeling. Um, and at that point, we didn't even discover my anxiety. We discovered a whole other part of me that reared its head. And, um, I started asking it questions, right? And so she gave me the option. You can ask them out loud for me to hear them, or you can just ask them internally. And so I guess I want to backtrack a little bit. I don't know how many of my viewers are Disney fans, but I'm a huge Disney fan. And if anybody's watched the movie Inside Out, that's exactly what internal family systems is. But sometimes you don't see them as little versions of you or adolescent versions of you. Sometimes they appear to you as a color. Sometimes they really just want to be a feeling inside of you and not show you anything else. Sometimes they won't talk back to you because they're not ready to talk to you. And so you go through all of these different things. And I, I'm still in the process of doing IFS with myself the way that you do, Debbie, and then take it mm -hmm. to my own therapist and say, oh, well, I tried to talk to this part and they turned their back on me or they said this and this and this. And so I actually came to this realization because of it. And so it does feel kind of weird because you're having this conversation with essentially another person inside of you, another being inside of you that was created from traumas that happened in your life. And so it, it, it's a really curious, weird 
wonderful process all at once, because then you do get to meet your higher self. And so I think this is like the perfect point for you now to explain how people get to encounter their uh, people. I've heard ideal self. I've heard core self. I've heard just self with a capital S. Um, You can explain what you like to call it and then how you get, how people can get there to be their grounded ideal self. Yeah. Um, I, IFS uses self with the, you know, big capital S and people kind of identify that with different ways. And sometimes it takes me a a little while to um, help them see. And one of the techniques I use is um, if you're looking at your finger, you can look at it here or Mm -hmm. you can look at it here. Mm -hmm. Self is looking at it from here where you have perspective and you, you see you're bigger um, than these parts. The parts are all important and they're all working really hard, but we are best. Our system is best led when it's led by self. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people come to it from a spirituality standpoint, which is lovely. Also, they, Mm -hmm. they see that as their connection to the divine and a benevolent look at the system in the parts and just the knowing that each of those parts is trying to do, do something good for the system. Mm -hmm. One of the techniques I've used with clients to help them really build up self is some self-compassion work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kristen Neff's work in self-compassion to really get in touch um, with yeah, suffering is a part of the human condition, but it, and it, it doesn't define me. It joins me to other people that are part of the human system. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that that kind of helps become self, uh, get self bigger, if you will, because part of the process of IFS is recognizing that we can become blended with these protector parts or manager mm-hmm. parts. Mm-hmm. And then we start speaking as the part. And what we want to get to is speaking from self for the part. Mm-hmm. And first you have to unwind and working on getting self bigger mm-hmm. is part of that equation, working on the part relaxing and feeling safe and that we don't want it to leave is another part of the equation. Mm-hmm. So self is, is self is compassion. I like to say curiosity mm-hmm. because if I believe if you can stay curious about something, then you hold open all kinds of possibilities. So mm-hmm. in my own work, when I, I start, when I feel that I've got a particular place, I feel a particular part and can I be curious about what that part's doing for me? But what do you, what do you, what do you need me to know, self to know, right now? But some people have never found their self when they find themselves in our offices, right? They didn't even know that there was a self there, and uh, so I'm blended. one of those people. Yeah, I'm. I. Until the moment I started working on my trauma using internal family systems, I discovered 
I had been, you said speaking, I'm going to use the word operating through Mm -hmm. life with or from my sadness and from my anger. So those were the only two extremes that I would ever get. And so my anger led me to being depressed all the time, or sorry, my sadness led me to being depressed most of the time. And if I was not depressed and I was actually driven to do work and because I got to this point in my life somehow, right. Even though I was driven by those two emotions, um, I, I don't, I still haven't deciphered which of the two was a manager and which of the two was a firefighter. I think my, my anger was a firefighter and my sadness was a manager because it was, it was at the forefront most of the time. So like, think of it, like who's driving the car right now. Sadness was driving the majority of my life. And then eventually when I became an adolescent, anger came into play and mm-hmm. she manifested. She, I'll, I say she, because then we'll get into what she looks like later on and how I perceive her. But um, when she came into play, I was an adolescent and she manifests more as high anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so that, that anger that I have been repressing and holding inside and not voicing because it wasn't okay to be angry growing up, um, just sent all of this cold and tension and pit of my stomach, like not of my stomach feelings. Um, but those were the only two that were operating for me. And I had never heard of, at least in this terminology, myself, and then had to go on a journey after that to discover who is that self inside of me? Mm-hmm. It does it even exist? Do these parts know that it's there? And then I had to start doing the work to grow her so that these parts wouldn't flood me. And so I, I'm curious to know your experience, either personal or client of the discovery of self. It, tip, as you noted earlier, typically when someone comes to therapy, it's for a, coming out of a place of really pain. Mm-hmm. And so I, the way I experienced that is there's, there's parts who have blended with self and have really, you know, kind of taken over the system. And so often by using that description of part blending with self and taking over, they can start to experience that they are not anxiety, they're experiencing anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, They are not depressed, they're experiencing depression. Mm -hmm. And when when we can put it into those words, I think that's when the concept starts to take hold. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, so often as as you know, this blending can be decades in the making. Yeah. It's, it's powerful and it, it's not going to go, oh, you're right. I'll step back. <laughs> it's just not going to do that when it's yeah. so entrenched. And so helping conceptualize that just like you don't say people, you say people have cancer, they're not cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, people, right. yeah, experience feelings of depression you're not depressed Mm -hmm. and helping them kind of start to separate that Mm 
mm-hmm. and then exploring what the what the part that is feeling depressed its history mm-hmm. and simultaneously giving them like i said i like to use mindfulness of mindfulness self compassion to help them get really inside self mm-hmm. and intentionally kind of blow blow it up grow mm-hmm. it up lift it up yeah um and it takes time yeah and self can evolve too yeah yeah absolutely self definitely moves through time um i i've said it takes it takes time some of the most rapid change i've seen has been through parts work and people really identifying what the good intention has been and where that exile formed and it it can it it feels like it's it's slow right up until it's fast mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it it really moves yeah yeah my myself has evolved i i remember when i did go to that therapist she brought the concept of self to me and I was like, well, I don't know what she looks like. And at that moment, I think I felt like I was fighting a battle. And so myself appeared to me as Wonder Woman. And that's that's who myself was for a while. And then I started getting in touch more with my cultural roots and healing things from my Latino upbringing and perspective and that wonder woman turned into this like Aztec warrior princess with the headdress and you know, like it, it, she was amazing. And so, but still, still a warrior, still needing to fight something. And that actually dawned on me a couple of days ago, as I was thinking about this episode coming up and what we were going to be talking about and how I I was going to be sharing my experience with internal family systems where I hadn't really checked in with what myself is currently because I've been doing so much growing in the last half a year. Um, I I just haven't stopped to pause and, and realize what that is until a couple of days ago. And you know, I love water, Debbie, you know, I love swimming. I'm always talking about going, I mean, I'm from California. So the beach is a huge part of my life. Absolutely. And myself is now this mermaid that's just happily flowing and and swimming and taking things as calmly as possible. And I absolutely loved that image because I don't feel like I'm resisting or fighting against anything anymore and I think this is probably the most authentic self that I've ever encountered Mm -hmm. on this journey of of getting to know myself and unraveling all of these traumas through this theory that I love so much um and so yeah I just I'm so happy that that this is the first theory that we're talking about because Um, yeah, it's, it's just a a magical thing that can happen if, and when it works for people, because it's not for everyone, right? Yeah, I, I have some, you know, I, I use, I've been trained in a number of things and IFS is my favorite, but some people, um, I think in particular people that have really, really 
active firefighters in IFS term um, have can have a hard time holding well, these. I, I long long time client, but I can almost picture these. We would we would be working on understanding the part, and another part would swoop in. Mm-hmm. And okay, well, let's let's ask that part to step back, and it was we could do it, and then another part would swoop in, and it was just this image of arrows coming all the time, mm-hmm. and so I would still hold those parts, but really start to apply a CBT cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. approach to the work of you know, c- catastrophizing and mm-hmm. what, what might be an alternate explanation for that mm-hmm. and use that as an entry to try to get the parts to soften back by mm-hmm. keeping her in her mind more uh, the, the thinking part of her brain. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is not for everybody. Like I said, it, it's an awkward thing. And then sometimes, yeah, the, the system is so overrun by so many different firefighters that are really trying to protect multiple exiles. Sometimes we we only (laughs) mentioned one exile. I, I know that I have, if we do just limit it to the five childhood wounds that I mentioned earlier, um, I know that I have at least three of them. And so imagine all of these different firefighters being like, no, we got to protect you from this. And now this is going to hurt this exile. And this can, so um, they, they won't even let you reach the exile sometimes. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. And some, you know, it's, I've experienced that hopeful feeling that we're almost there and a, in swoops of firefighter, like, no, 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 not going there, not going there. Uh-uh. And that can look a, a myriad of different ways, but I know that that's the intention of, they're not feeling safe enough. Um, to let you get close. So we we work to make them feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the first step is providing that safety so that then the firefighters could chill out and step back and be like, okay, maybe they're going to do something good for us. Let's, let's see where this is going. Yeah. And the, you know, a therapist can be really helpful with providing that safety Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's someone else here. My, my sole job is to help you feel safe, um, so that we can make sure you have the job of your dreams when, mm-hmm. when we're done working here. Not, we don't want you to go away. You might get to do something different and just really voicing that safety until the client's able to do it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very reassuring for the parts because that's one of the fears that they live in too, right? That they're flooding you so much that you might get rid of them. And we want to reassure them as lovingly and kindly as possible. First of all, thank them for however long they've been working in our system because they've been trying to protect us so hard for that long. So expressing that gratitude, um, validating their fear and then, um, acknowledging how exhausted they must be for working over, like on overload for so long. That's right. Reminding, reminding them how old we are. 
I remember when, when I started talking to my parts and one of the questions that my therapist had me asked was, can you ask them how old you think you are? And of course my sadness was like four. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She thought I was four years old. And at that point I was actually 32. Mm -hmm. And so she, my therapist was like, tell her you're 32. And the I this little four-year-old version of, of me that I saw or the sadness that I saw is a silhouette, but I could feel her sense of surprise in hearing how old I actually was. <laughs> she yeah. was so confused. Um, but then going back to I was operating when I was sad. I was operating as a four-year-old sad child. Absolutely. I've had a client that was prone to really big anger outbursts. And um, in, in attachment theory, you know, the first couple of years is when you form an attachment or not to a caregiver and can trust or not that your needs are going to be met. And her, um, her first two years, most people don't remember, but all the indications were that they would be very chaotic, very stressed. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of chaos. Mm-hmm. And so when we were able to talk with two-year-old part, one of the things that made the biggest difference was the self telling the part, we've got words now. We, we don't have to scream. Uh, we've got a vocabulary now. We can rep- express ourselves now. Mm-hmm. And that was just a revelation of, I, I, I have words I can use. Mm-hmm. And that little part was brought into the modern era, if you will, yeah. knowing that I've got, I've got agency that I didn't have mm-hmm. 40 years ago. Yeah, some deep, deep stuff. When you start going through this, through this theory and and working through traumas in this way. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of it is having established the rapport with those different parts. And then this was what my, my therapist recommended. And I recommend my clients, if we end up using IFS is having a meeting with all of these parts in the, in the morning. (laughs) with the self at the head of the table and being like, all right, y'all, I see all of you. I want to thank you for almost every day, right? Like that's the work that you don't need to do it for the rest of your life, but initially is so, so helpful in laying the groundwork for yourself to continue being the driver while everybody else is in the backseat and not flooding you or not blending with that self is that I, I would have that meeting and I, I did it while I was brushing my teeth every morning after I started discovering all of the different parts, I would go into my, myself, which at that point was my Aztec warrior princess girl. And I would sit at the head of the table or stand at the head of table and see all of the different parts I had discovered and talk to them and say, okay, we're going to have a good day today anger and sadness. I know that y'all like to take over. 
just tap me lightly on the shoulder if something triggers you. I I know that you're just protecting me or any of the other ones that were that were really present in certain moments in my life. And so that was one of my favorite exercises. I probably should go back to to doing that a little bit because of all of the growth that I've that I've been going through and certain emotions that have been kind of flooding me and taking over recently, but that was my favorite exercise after I started working through and discovering so many different, I even drew, I drew several of my parts. And so I know vividly what they look like and what part of the table they're sitting at. And it's, it's incredible to go through this work and do the growth and then be able to stand back as yourself and, and have that control over your life because now you're fully awake. You're not on autopilot letting these emotions control you. Um, and you're, you're just being fully present and enjoying life for what it is instead of operating from that, that hurtful or painful um, experience that you had whenever it was that it happened in your life. I love that because that parts meeting uh, does so many good things, not the least of which just acknowledging, I know you're there. Mm-hmm. I know you're ready to work for me. Yeah. we've got this mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes I mean, that's, sometimes that's just the root of what we want is to be acknowledged mm-hmm. and accepted and appreciated right. and that's all it the part needs to stay with you in the day in the system yeah yeah and so you know if this is this theory compartmentalizes what other theories do as like, give yourself compassion, give yourself love, give yourself acceptance, validate your emotions. So it's essentially doing what other theories are already asking us to do for ourselves, but just breaking it down into these feelings are like other little personas inside of us. So um, yeah, yeah, the multiplicity of the mind. Absolutely. And I think another thing that's important to me about IFS is it's, it's non-pathologizing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take the, the approach that something is Bren. It's taken, takes the approach that everybody's working hard, even if mm-hmm. they may not have all the information they need to do what they think they're doing for the system as a whole. And I, I love that because that's, that's, I think that's kind of the approach to counseling that you and I were taught as a strength-based counseling that every, everybody has within them what they need to heal. Mm-hmm. And that's very much a tenant of IFS. IFS, yeah. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on, Debbie, and sharing all of this with us. You taught me a whole bunch of new things about internal mm-hmm. family systems, because like I said, I... I've only done it with my therapist and then a little bit through the class that we took together, but you know, you going through all of this training and, and giving us the experiences of these different clients. And I hope it puts it into perspective for whoever's listening to the podcast and maybe they, it'll encourage someone or I don't know, inspire somebody to look for a therapist that works with this because it resonates with maybe this will work for me um, later on down the line or something. I don't know. I just, I hope that we can inspire someone to, to start their healing journey or like look for an internal family systems therapist. Cause it can do wonders. It can 
make someone take so many different leaps and strides in comparison to other theories, you know, depending on what kind of personality you have. So I guess I, I want to, yes, thank you, but also ask if there's anything else that you would like to leave with us um, that you would like to say. Yeah. I, I, if someone is, is listening and wondering if counseling or therapy is for them, um, find a way to try. Mm-hmm. It's you don't need to walk through whatever you're walking through or being dragged through alone. There, there is someone who can be a good fit for you and really connect with you and help you know that you're not alone. As I, I, I really come to believe trauma is something bad happening and having to and feeling alone and facing it. And a therapist can be really helpful in not feeling alone. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, I have mentioned it previously and, and I say, look around and build your tribe and go, don't Mm -hmm. go through this journey alone. But I do recognize that sometimes people just are not at the point of trusting those of those of the people that are around them, whether they're family members or friends. And, and I, I want to thank you for bringing that to the table, because if you are at that point, a therapist would be then your next step, right? If you feel like you have nobody else to turn to in your life to help through this, then a therapist is the next best thing. And you won't be alone. We will create that safe space for you to feel as comfortable as possible. And and for you to be able to be vulnerable without feeling judged, without feeling criticized or ashamed in any way, because ultimately we don't really have any link to you that would get out into the world. And so it's it's the next best way for you to find that support. So thank you so much for sharing that, Debbie. Yeah, shame is such a powerful emotion and the thought of sharing something apart that is feeling that shame with someone that you're going to see every week, every month for the rest of your life or something mm-hmm. um, can be a real deterrent. And with a counselor, you come, you get better, you leave. Mm-hmm. And only you in self can choose who you share that journey with. Awesome. Well, y'all made it to the end of this episode. Thank you so much. I hope that y'all found this really informative and that maybe a few of y'all got motivated to look for a therapist that works with internal family systems to help work through any sort of trauma or to dive deeply into something that y'all have been feeling needs to be unraveled. And um, yeah, I I just, I encourage those of you that, that found this this theory relevant to y'all to find find a therapist that works with it because I cannot say enough how great this theory is and how amazingly it does and so if I can reach just a few of y'all with this little light of information it would be really great next week's episode is going to be part two of this in which then I delve deep into all of the things that um, my mom did and said to me in order to create this trauma inside of me that then carried over into patterns of relationships of accepting low-level love that um, 
I accepted into my life because of the dynamic that my mom created with me. And so we'll get a larger dose of darling next time. And then we'll integrate as well how internal family systems then not only started me healing and continues to heal me because of that backsliding and because of certain people continuing to trigger me in that way. Um, but also into the journey of forgiveness with my mom, you know, because I mentioned before, she and I have already talked about it and cried about it and bonded about it. And so um, sometimes it's re-triggered with her. Sometimes it's re-triggered with men. Sometimes it's re-triggered with friends. And so doing the work continuously is what's helped. So we will get to see exactly how that works and how it's worked in my life in the next episode so see y'all for part two of episode three internal family systems next week we'll